either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We are into August now. How did that happen? When did that happen? Did anybody consult about this? Consult just, us about it only this? just. It only Holy just happened. Holy moly! Is that the dog days of summer? Is that does that qualify August? I don't know what the, when the dog days of summer are. Let's get our research department on that. Okay, there. let's do that. And in the meantime, let's talk about the new movies. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. We've got kind of one big potential blockbuster, and then some other fairly smaller but uh, important films to talk about. So we'll start with the two muscle men, Hobbs and Shaw. It's Fast and Furious Presents, lawman Luke Hobbs and outcast Deckard Shaw, forming an unlikely alliance when a cyber-genetically enhanced villain... <laughs> Threatens the future of humanity. Don't think, just enjoy Hobbs and Shaw. Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw. We've got unfinished business. Shaw's sister took something from me. A virus that could wipe out half the population, and I want it back. Look after your sister. Listen, I'll handle it. The only way we survive is working together like a team. Let's do this. Buckle up, fat boy. So you guys are being hunted by an army of mercenaries led by a genetically enhanced soldier. Look at me. I'm Black Superman. You're crazy. You need to get off the grid. Where? Home. My babies come home. I'm sorry to bring trouble here, Mama, but I need my brothers. This family is going to war. We're going to need cars and guns. Okay, we're going to start with an intricate breakdown of all the plot points. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not, because no. that's not the point no. here. No, no. The point is to take what really has worked well for the Fast and Furious franchise, which is the two funny guys, and then give them their own show because they're funny, and, and the rest of it, the Vincent Toretto and family and all that, it's like, yeah, we've seen I, it eight times now, let's be done with that. I know this has been a tremendously successful franchise, but for me, the, these two have been the highlight. Oh, I yeah. mean, the highlight. It was some time ago when they finally decided to just give away any pretense of reality yeah. and go with being a superhero movie. And <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if that's where you're going to go, yeah, yeah. all right, I'm, I'm on board with yeah, that. I can yes. at least get get behind that. So, But since they've started this little mano a mano between, uh, between The Rock and Jason Statham, I thought that has been a hoot. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. Especially with the feud now between Vin Diesel and The Rock. Just just go off and do your own thing here. And that's Absolutely. what they're doing, and it's one of those where I think you used the the term earlier this morning when we were doing our TV gig. Just unplug your brain or your brain stammer, yeah. however you said it, yeah. and just go with it. Yeah, exactly. Because because you're right, there is a plot here, so don't let that get in your way. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, what I did think that was interesting was the way they kind of develop the characters, each of the four main characters, they do it with uh, separate fight sequences. So you have, like, that's all. That, so there's no dialogue here. There's no backstory. It's like, how does this guy beat people up? Oh, how does this guy beat people up? And then they introduce uh, the two new characters, Hattie, who is an MI6 agent. She's taken off with this virus that can melt you from the insides and then make you a contagion to thin the herd. And Idris Elba's character, he refers to himself as Black Superman, 
So then they fight with each other, so you have a sense of what their character's like, and then that's it. That's that's the end of character development. And okay, I think we got really all we needed to know. From there on, it's just car chases and and explosions and more fisticuffs and, uh, and some funny lines. Yeah, and that's what it's about. And it was uh, directed by David Leach. Yeah, from Atomic Blonde. He also uh, directed... Deadpool 2. Yeah. And he, and he, he was a he was a stunt coordinator for a long time. Yeah, and he was uncredited, I guess. He's he gets an uncredited credit for John, the, Wick. John Wick, the yeah. original John Wick. So yeah, done a lot of he knows his stunts. Mm-hmm. And it comes in handy here. And you've got the let's face it, just the charm of Dwayne Johnson yeah. and Jason Statham yeah. kind of poking fun a little bit at their own personas. Oh, definitely. Not, not as well or as much as Jason Spy. did in Spy, oh, which was God. still priceless. Oh, we're, so I think perfect. we're both waiting on that sequel. Yeah. Come on. I know. But uh, they do have a kind of wink-wink fun with it. And, yeah, they and I, do. I admit, I'm, I think that is enjoyable to watch regardless of how ridiculous the plot may be. Oh, yeah, it, and it is. It surely is. <laughs> uh, but you know what to sort of, again, even that they embrace, right? Because there are yeah. a series of cameos yeah. in the film that are nothing except comedy. So that's, I think, the biggest, biggest difference between this film and the rest of the Fast and Furious franchise is that this is an action film, certainly, but mm. it's an action comedy. Yeah. It's, it's a comedy, and, and the cameos that they have are strictly comedic and they're and they're funny. Yeah, and In I fact, think one is really weird. And it those the cameos really surprised me. Yeah. Because they've done a good job keeping a lid on that. And we're certainly not going to spill any beans. I hope nobody does because that's that's the fun of like, oh, you know, what's this this person yeah. uh, doing in this? And they have fun with it. So that it just adds to the fun quotient. And I think the comedy angle was the right way to go. Because when you saw, oh, absolutely. when you saw in the other movies, the Fast and Furious movies that these two characters were involved in, when you saw their conflicted relationship, their chemistry and their yeah building, it's like okay, that's the way we're going to go with yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that that I, I see sort of the springboard to a, another franchise from this movie. I don't know that I do, to be honest with you. There's well, not a lot there, but I certainly didn't miss. Vin Diesel and his, you know, sort of uh, peaceful-faced family, <laughs> you know, nonsense. Oh, my yeah. God, we get it. You're a big family. We get it. I didn't miss that. And in no, fact, I think the, the weakest parts, there are two. I mean, this is not a great movie. It's not. And it does bog down in a couple of ways, all of them involving words. It's not the strong suit of the franchise. Uh, you know, there's a little bit too much heavy-handed backstory eventually for the two to the two leads uh, and their dysfunctional family issues. But then also there are simply too many se- pissing contests. There are too many. Mm. That, and they go on for too long. And, well, and the you film just wanna... is, could, could be shorter. It doesn't it, need to be. Two hours and 15 minutes? Yeah. Oh, hell no, it doesn't. <laughs> but, you know, here's another thing. There have to be at least four post-credit scenes. Yeah. So it's like a whole second movie, a whole second <laughs> nonsensical movie. So don't leave early. I mean, if you've stuck it out through the whole two hours right. and 15 minutes, right. you may as well stay through the credits. So it's enjoyable. Again, a turn-off-your-brain type of late. Late summer, dare I say dog days of summer, <laughs> popcorn movie, um, and especially if you liked the franchise yeah. and the, and most especially the last few installments of it. But it's just another example, regardless of how fit Jason Statham is. And he is. Yeah, he is. The Rock is freaking he's, huge. Yeah, he's a mountain. I mean, dude. A, I gotta say this. So there is a, a brother that they bring up and drop, and eventually you realize, well, we're going to The Rock his character, he's got to go back to Samoa to meet up with his brother. There is a 
massive Samoan human being. And with all of the cameos throughout, I kept going, is his brother going to be Aquaman? It's not. So that was disappointing. Right, and that yeah. it made me think to myself, when is, who, why have those two not been in yeah. a film together yeah. yet? Because it clearly has to happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe that's the next one because I think if this becomes a franchise or not, will be determined by the box office yeah. receipts. Yeah. And that remains to be seen. But overall, enjoyable in spite of itself. So unplug and enjoy Hobbs and Shaw. We'll go to another comedy next, but a lot more serious. Call it a dramedy. A Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decides to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding to gather before she dies. It's called The Farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Your nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. Shouldn't we tell her? Isn't it wrong to lie? It's a good lie. Most families in China would choose not to tell her. She's dying. Can you be a little more sensitive? What do you want from me? To scream and cry like you? Ah! <laughs> 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 well, this is just an overall charming and funny film. It is. That is really well put together, well acted. I like that it went in certain directions I didn't really expect. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's a breakout performance for Aquafina. Right. Uh, we've known her mainly as a comedic presence. Yeah, and usually a side character. Yeah, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, mo um, most notably, and also Ocean's, Ocean's 8. Ocean's 8. But here, even though she is funny, and the film definitely is funny, mm -hmm. she shows a very promising, dramatic side here. Because she's the lead. She, she anchors is. the entire film, and she, she does a great she job. She carries the film. She uh, plays Billy. And she's a Chinese-American living in New York, and she finds out, along with the rest of her extended family, that their beloved mat matriarch back in China, Nene? Nai-Nai. <laughs> has uh, terminal cancer. And the entire family knows it, and they choose not to tell her, and instead come up with this elaborate ruse about a grandson getting married as a reason for everybody to come to China and gather and basically kind of say their goodbyes yeah. uh, without letting Nai-Nai know that mm -hmm. that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, uh, first off, Billy, her parents really don't want her to come. Because they, because she's so American yeah. that they're sure she's going to give it away. She's right. not going to, and, and, and she comes close. You can see, you can see the conflict, which is really the central con conflict in the film. Right. It's, it's, as you said in the written review, it's modern versus tradition, and, and which is the better. And it's really Eastern versus Western, and mm -hmm. which is the better. Very much so. And it is writer-director Lulu Wang, mm -hmm. and she's able to, first of all, everybody... It, it, it types, uh, taps into that universal feeling everybody has about their crazy family. Oh, yeah. doesn't matter what language they're speaking. No. Everybody can relate to that. Yep. And so you, you've There's got... There's a lot of internal oh, bickering yeah. and yet love. I mean, in the way that you can only do with your own, yeah. with your own family. And just nutty people. Like, oh, what, yeah, absolutely. What? But you get let it go because it's your family. Mm -hmm. So, But eventually, Billy does go to uh, join the gathering. And, yeah, her parents do have good reason to be worried because she's really not all on board with no. this. She really doesn't think that's a good idea. Why are we keeping this from her? And that's what a lot of audience members are going to think as well, Yeah, that are not familiar with this tradition, with this culture. And that is where uh, Lulu Wang 
takes the opportunity through her script and her direction to inform yeah. about this culture and these traditions and why they do this and how it's different from the American or the Western culture. Because this, as she points, Billy points out at one, at one point, in the United States, this would be against the law. Right. But what they're saying is the the idea for for, you know, this family is not that they're trying to to rob their grandmother of her autonomy is that they're bearing the burden of her sadness for her. Exactly. Exactly. And they and they keep telling Billy that in their culture, you your life is part of a whole mm-hmm. in yours, i.e. Billy's mm-hmm. uh, American. You're on your own. Yeah. And that is the point that keeps being made. And I, I maybe we're making it sound a lot more serious than it is. It is serious, but it's also very funny. It's very funny. And and the way that, you know, in the way that so many movies that are kind of uh, around a family wedding tend to be, I mean, whether it's My Big Fat Greek Wedding or yeah. 16 Candles yeah. or whatever, or uh, Crazy Rich Asians, whatever it is, anytime you get a really good look at the way families behave in a group setting, mm-hmm. and, and if you can do it well, it's universal. As you were saying, it just is. It's universal, as we just come off of a weekend with my family. <laughs> and it's got a large ensemble cast. Everybody's good. Special shout-out to uh, the actress who plays Nai Nai, Shunzen Zhao. She is a riot. She is. Just, she is a scene stealer, that one. <laughs> she oh, is. she's hilarious. And I also have to give, the, I, I kept having even more extra sympathy for the young the young girlfriend of, <laughs> of, of the grandson right. who has the, to go along with this. And yeah. pretend she's marrying this this boy that she's been dating. They, they, they say too many, much, many times, yeah. she's not pregnant. She's just, they've been dating two months and they're getting married. And she's, uh, that family uh, lives in Japan. Yeah. And so she's actually Japanese and doesn't speak Chinese and doesn't understand anything that's going on. And she's yeah. just nodding and smiling. And mm-hmm. yes, she's very well, funny. And that's another, uh, another way that um, the filmmaker, Lulu Wang, weaves in the the clash between cultures in that Billy coming from America, her Chinese is not that great. No. So she can get along, but then she needs help. So she she is definitely our eyes mm-hmm. into this. Yes. Um, even though she's part of it, she's she's kinda there's a real push and pull yeah. between her life and her her culture that where that she uh was born into, yeah. and then what she's been living with in America for the past several years. So it's fascinating, it's charming, it's touching, it makes some poignant points, and yeah. it makes you laugh all at the same yeah, time. It really does. So really, really enjoyed the farewell. <laughs> oh, what's next? A horror movie. What? If you like horror movies, come sit next to us. This is uh, about Luz, a young cab driver, dragging herself into the brightly lit entrance of a rundown police station. A demonic entity follows her, determined to finally be close to the woman it loves. It's simply called Luz. Boy, this one's nutty. Nutty, and Luz is L-U-Z, because mm-hmm. that is her name. Exactly. That's the name of the central character, although we don't really get to know her very well, very quickly, because uh, so many of the other characters, first of all, are fascinating, uh, and second of all, they get some screen time because of the way uh, Tillman Singer has created the story. He doesn't just hand it to you right off the bat, uh, and uh, he, you're piecing it together as really kind of lose is piecing it together. And this movie, it's basically a deconstruction of uh, of the possession film, mm-hmm. of a demonic possession film. And it's done, uh, I don't know what the budget was because it looks like it was made on on no money at all, but but that that was quite intentional. It mostly takes place inside this crappy police station with a lot of folding chairs where <laughs> a hypnotized lose 
believes her folding chair is her cab, and she's recreating. She's giving you the backstory yeah. from inside that environment, and it is just fascinating. It is just fascinating, and it's so effortlessly creepy. And it's only seventy minutes, so and that's with the credits. Yeah. So it's really barely over an hour. Yeah. That, that it gets this hits the ground running it does. and just it really and creeps does. you out. It really does. And all of the uh all of the performances are so good, are so compelling, and are so weird. Yeah, Luz is played by Luana Velice, if I uh, pronounce that correctly. And uh we should say it's a foreign film. Yes, it is. And the language it's Spanish as well as German because they've brought in a psychiatrist and so he speaks German the rest of them speak Spanish so it's all subtitled and it's just such an interesting story and it's so interesting to see the way characters change and what they're willing to say and what they're not willing to say mm-hmm. and the I mean in fact the way that they use the language barrier inside the film is also fascinating. Yeah, I'm guessing this is not going to get a, a, a wide release. So this is another one you may have to really seek out. But I think it could very easily get a an underground cult status. Yes, I, of I agree. A lot of great word of mouth where, where somebody says, boy, you got to check that out. you got to find it. Because it, it, even among horror fans, of course, like yourself, like both of us, it's different. It's very different. It really is. And it, so in... And, that's hard to do in a genre where I think there are probably more horror films put out every year than any of the other potential genres. And if you watch as many as we do and you come across one that is this fresh, you just really embrace it. Yeah, and the reason that is, as we've pointed out several times, is because it can so often make back such a great return on investment. Oh, yeah. And because of that, so much just, you know, dog food just yeah. gets put out yeah, because absolutely. they want to make a quick a quick uh, buck on it, and they get that good return. But here, it's extra, you get an extra appreciation because, yeah, someone is able to do something different mm-hmm. with uh, with a genre that has been so full of movies and, you know, good movies over the past few years especially. But uh, anytime somebody has, in any genre, something fresh to say, you welcome it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, look, look out for lose. Next up, another one in limited release, the story of Cynthia and Mary showing up to collect Cynthia's inheritance from her deceased grandfather, but the only item she receives is an antique sword that was believed by her grandfather to be proof that the South won the Civil War. It's called Sword of Trust. What you are looking at yes. is a genuine relic that supports the actual truth, which is the South mm-hmm. won the war. Okay. The South won the war. That's right. This is something it's, you want to keep under your hat till you're ready to. Seems not like keep pretty big news. Head. Let's just be on the same page. We're just trying to sell this thing for a lot of money, and that's that. Bam. This is definitely how people die. I don't know who these people are. I don't know what they're capable of. We're in this together. Me, you, the two ladies. We just got to get that $40,000. I'm so hard right now, I can barely keep my mind straight. Wait a minute, are you using that word right? First of all, let's be clear, it's not sword of, <laughs> of trust. <laughs> my dad would have said sword. <laughs> sword of trust. And this one is very timely, and you can see the inspiration early on because yeah. you you heard in that premise. Someone believes something that is clearly not true. Exactly. Uh, but is totally, totally convinced and finds plenty of 
outside evidence to say that, yes, you are right, even though you're clearly wrong. We see a lot of that lately. Yes, and that's we what do. This, and that's what this is taking on. And it's, it's interesting because it's a, it's a great context for the, the personal explorations among these different characters, particularly Mark Maron, mm-hmm. who did an absolutely wonderful job of just being a guy who recognizes that his life is kind of a tragedy, but but not being bitter about it. Just kind of, yeah, that's how that goes. And at the same time, I think in a in a, a, a an affectionate sort of way, not a bitter way, an affectionate, I suppose, sort of way, really looking at, especially in small town middle America, mm-hmm. how it is that people just stumble across these right. bizarre non-facts and then just embrace them with such zealotry. Yeah, and especially with today's internet yeah you're always just a click away from finding a whole group of people that will tell you that yes the earth is flat right and everybody else is against you yeah. and it's it's just a reminder that you know those people have they've always been there mm-hmm. they really have it's not just suddenly people decide that we have a brand new group of people that just in the last few years decided that the earth was flat the people the conspiracy theory that that were susceptible to conspiracy theories were always there. Well, I think one of the things... they're now more emboldened. One of the things that this movie does is to remind you that those people are whole people. Mm-hmm. This is They're not just, they're just not, you know, cockroaches in their mom's basement. I mean, yeah. they have whole lives and they are in some ways perfectly likable and normal and regular people. And then all of a sudden there's this spark of crazy and you think, and then that spark finds another spark of crazy. Yeah. And then there's another one. You think, uh, so this is how that happened. I feel like the, the, and Kat McAlpine reviewed this for us on the website, madwolf.com. And I think she agreed that that's kind of where the movie, it's a little soft. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it probably needed more of a bite right there. Right. Um, it's uh, writer-director Lynn Shelton, right. who has done a, a lot of various things in TV and Laggies. film. You may have seen Laggies. Uh, she's worked with Mark Maron yeah. on his TV right. show. She's also done a few episodes of Glow. And which... Jillian Bell is in this. Yeah. Uh, I always love her. Anytime she's too. in anything, I'm ready to watch it. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one that, again, is in limited release, so you may have to uh, dig a little bit to find it. But I think you could you could find uh, some interest here. Yep. And we also have a new animated movie this week. It's a young Leonardo da Vinci struggling with his incredible inventions when a mysterious storyteller comes to town and speaks of a hidden treasure. Leo and his friends embark on an unforgettable adventure in Leo da Vinci, Mission Mona Lisa. Before he stunned the world with his genius in arts and science, Leo da Vinci was a boy who liked to invent. He also admired, um, art. Are you gonna do something or just stare all day? So did you even get her name? Why? I just wanted her to model. And here's one you can skip. (laughs) Uh, The animation itself is pretty bland. Actually, it looks to me like something that you could put together with what kind of animation is already programmed in your computer. I don't think that it seemed like it took an animation studio to make it. The storyline is bland. The characters are nonsensical. But, you know, if you do watch it, though, listen closely to the lyrics of the song that plays over the closing credits because that's worth the price of admission. I mean, he mentions a mobile phone at one point. It's crazy. And we should say the written review was done by Christy Robb for us at MadWolf.com, and she took a little bit of a a different approach because she she reviewed 90% of it, but then she let her young daughter chime in. Emmy, who's about to start kindergarten. Yeah, 
And there was a vastly different appreciation there for really the film. There really was. Yes, there definitely was. But on the whole, I still think it's one you can definitely pass. Yeah, so if you have a maybe a kindergartner that needs to, uh, you know, waste away a rainy afternoon, they would probably enjoy it. You may want to get some sleep while the, the, <laughs> the movie is going on. But yeah, the lyrics to that closing song, that's uh, hoo 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 <laughs> And that's uh, Leo Da Vinci, Mission Mona Lisa, and our mission is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Boy, leading off in the lobby, one one of the R-rated comedies so far this year, and there have been too many, unfortunately, that just didn't find an audience. I but know. Deserved one. It's the long shot. It's uh, Seth Rogen. And Charlize Theron, and as you said, right up in the posters, unlikely, but not impossible, That's right. which I love, yeah. because that just, uh, right away, it just acknowledged what everybody was thinking. And uh, she is running for president. He is a, her one of her speechwriters, and she used to be his babysitter, and things get crazy, and things get very funny. It's an R. It's, it's very definitely an R with his humor, but I laughed a lot, and it also... Except for a, a third act, a finale that gets a little too schmaltzy, I thought it scored a lot of timely points. Very political at times, social commentary. I enjoyed it. I'm really hoping that this gets a market in home entertainment because it's funny, the other two that we really love that didn't perform as well as we hope, Booksmart and Late Night, both of them had kind of a second wave in theaters, mm-hmm. in theatrical release, so that they probably did maybe make a little bit more money. This one just came and went, Boy. and so I really hope people give it a chance. Yeah, so do I. The Intruder is out this week on uh, home video, and boy, this is Dennis Quaid uh, terrorizing a young couple that by that buys his house, and uh, boy, it's it's bad. It's uh, bad, they but ju- he sure can mug, can he? He can mug. He, he can mug with the best of them. But see, that's one of the things I thought about this movie. He he was mugging so bad and so over the top, I think he had the idea, look, we need to take this just totally over the top to make it work, and that would have been better. because they. But nobody else was following no, that direction. No, they were not. No. And especially the scriptwriter who took the ending, I'm telling you, almost verbatim from a 90s thriller that will go unmentioned here. But just lock, stock, and barrel just took yeah, the finale. Just so, stole it. Uh, yeah, definitely. And it was very, very forgettable. Ugly Dolls comes out this week. You know, I, I wanted to like this one. It looks pretty. It's a, it's another just very weak animated film. Uh, kind of an obvious story. Doesn't really go anywhere. I know that if you've got little kids and you just want to put something on that's brightly colored to entertain them while you're trying to cook dinner or something, okay. But there are better options. And out on home video this week, The White Crow is out on DVD. It's a story of Rudolf Nureyev's defection to the West. And this one was reviewed a few weeks ago for us by Brandon Thomas, one of our writers. He loved it. He thought it was great. And what a fascinating story. I mean, I don't know. I had no idea that Nureyev had gone. I, I, I recognize the name. I've got a lot of dancers in my family, but I had no idea. It's a fascinating story. And it was was directed by Ray Fiennes. Yeah. And, who has a small part in it. And, mm-hmm. and really well put together between the espionage and the, and the dance performance. Just a really fascinating film. Yeah, so that might be worth a look. Next week, it's going to be busy. So busy. <laughs> Starting with The Kitchen. I think we're we're looking forward to this one. We are. And also Scary Stories to Tell in the oh. Dark. Very excited about that one as well. Yeah. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Dora, that would be The Explorer. Uh, also Brian Banks. Mm-hmm. 
comes out. That's a biography, obviously, of Brian mm-hmm. Banks. Don't know a lot about that story. But, yeah, looking uh, forward to it, though. Them That Follow, which we got to see. Excited to talk about that yep, one. Just saw Maiden. That. Yep. Watch that this morning. That's an interesting documentary, as is Brainiac, about the band, the Dayton-based band Brainiac. So it's a lot to cover next week. Yeah, a lot to cover next week. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. For now, let us know what you thought about the films this week, especially Hobbs and Shaw. What are you thinking? You in for that that kind of buddy, frenemy, comedy, action, muscle flexing? Say bromance. <laughs> Let us know. Also, The Farewell or anything that's out this week. You can always get us on Twitter. That's the easiest way. That is at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Mad Wolf Columbus. And wherever you're listening, we always uh, appreciate you joining in the screening room. So if you would, take just a minute to subscribe, rate, and review. We would so appreciate it. All right. Welcome to August. Until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs>